Hello, and welcome to Salmon Stream, a podcast for our Salish Sea Association of Marine Naturalist members, where I interview experts and researchers about topics featuring marine life we have here in the Salish Sea. My name is Tracy Merle, and I am the Education Curator at the Whale Museum in Friday Harbor, Washington. Thanks for joining us today. Today's topic is pipefish. This podcast is episode two from season three which is being recorded live on February 2nd, 2023. And my guest today is Tiffany Booth. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. And please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Like you said, my name is Tiffany Booth. I've lived on the Oregon coast almost my entire life. I currently work for the Seaside Aquarium, and I have actually been there since 2001. Great. How did you get involved in working with pipefish? It was my work through the aquarium. So when I first began my career there, I actually just talked with our guests about our displays, answered any questions that we had about them. The aquarium, the Seaside Aquarium focuses mainly on marine life that you'll find here in the Pacific Northwest. So when people would ask me if we had seahorses, I would always direct them over to our pipefish display and explain that our water is just a little bit too cold for seahorses, but we do have their relative, the bay pipefish. Okay. And how many years have you been involved with them? So this is probably going on my 21st, 22nd year. (laughs) I didn't really start. It's a long time. (laughs) I didn't really start working with the pipefish until about 2005. That's kind of when I started caring for them for their display and feeding them. And now I train other people how to care for their display and feed them and stuff like that. Very cool. Can you describe what a pipefish is and what it looks like? So things like the size, the appearance, the color. Yeah, so I always describe them as a straight seahorse. They have that typical seahorse face, that long, thin snout. But then instead of having a curly body, they have a very thin, rigid body that's straight. And they come in a variety of colors, especially in the tropics. But here they're usually just shades of yellow, brown, and green. Okay. And you mentioned this a little bit. How do they differ from the traditional seahorses? Well, besides the appearance of their body, seahorses tend to just occupy tropical waters, whereas pipefish will occupy both tropical waters and waters that are cold, like up into Alaska. So they have a wide range of temperatures they can be found in. So that leads me to another question. What is it about pipefish that allows them to live in colder waters while seahorses really can't? You know, that's just an evolution adaptation that allows them to occupy a larger range than seahorses. Okay. And you just mentioned a little bit about their range and habitat. I don't know if you wanted to say anything more about that. With, with pipefish, they can be found in the Atlantic Ocean, the Indian Ocean, and here in the Pacific Northwest. They occupy eelgrass beds. They love eelgrass beds. You'll find them in bays and estuaries, and every once in a while you'll find them in the intertidal zone. But they like those calmer waters. So how do they use their tails? 
So they don't really use their tails for anything specifically. So like the seahorses will use their tails to wrap around corals and algae, where the pipefish actually wraps their entire body around like a blade of eelgrass to help anchor themselves in. They will use their little tail fins a little bit for locomotion, but they actually steer by moving their heads back and forth. Oh, that's pretty cool. Can they change color? Uh, Depending on the species. So in your more tropical areas, they're able to camouflage differently within their surroundings. But here in the Pacific Northwest, our local species, the bay pipefish, they tend to be, they tend to not camouflage as much. They camouflage in with their local surroundings, but they don't change their color if they move a different spot. So they can be found in a variety of colors, up to about 14, but they're just different shades on the spectrum of brown, yellow, and green. Okay. How common are pipefish in general in the Northwest Pacific? Specifically in the Northwest, they're actually quite common. You can find them, again, in almost all bays and estuaries. Anywhere you find eelgrass, you will most likely find bay pipefish. They like saltwater, but you could also find them in brackish and every once in a while, even freshwater. So in terms of species of pipefish that we have here locally in the Salish Sea, obviously bay pipefish, I'm assuming that's the only species that we have of them. And if so, do you want to tell us a little more about the bay pipefish? Yeah, correct. You'll only see the bay pipefish in the Salish Sea. In the Pacific Northwest, there are three different species. There's the bay pipefish, the kelp pipefish, and the barred pipefish. The kelp and the bard are a little bit more southern residents, so you'll find them more in the northern California and then south. Whereas the bay pipefish, you can find from Alaska down to about Baja, California. So they have a a wide range. Unlike some species of pipefish that will live up to one or live up to eight to 10 years, bay pipefish has a relatively small lifespan of one to two years. And how big are the bay pipefish? So the females get bigger than the males. The females get about 15 inches in length. And then the males top off right around about 12 inches. Yeah, that's bigger than I thought. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do we know what their population status is? You know, I'm not exactly sure what their population status is. I know that they are listed as a species of less concern, which indicates that they have at the very least a stable population, if not really good. But obviously with the loss of eelgrass beds, that would be a big concern, I would imagine, to pipefish populations since they depend on those eelgrass beds. Correct. Yes. That's one of their biggest threats is is the destruction of eelgrass beds. And currently with the invasive green crabs who destroy eelgrass beds, that's one thing that people are looking at and are a little concerned with pipefish. What do pipefish eat and how do they feed? (laughs) Well, these guys, some people refer to them as super suckers. So they don't have any teeth. So in order to eat, they actually have to suck their food in really quickly. They feed on plankton, small crustaceans, sometimes fish eggs, really anything that gets close enough to their mouth that they can suck in real quick. Do they have any predators? So they have a variety of predators, but their most common is going to be a shark called a smooth Brownhound shark and a spotted sand bass is one of their main fish predators. The elegant tern is another big pipefish eater. I've also seen blue herons pluck them out of the eelgrass. So they do have a variety of predators. 
Well, I know we definitely have the blue herons here in the Salish Sea. Those other predators you mentioned, do you know if we have them up where we're at locally? I don't know. (laughs) Can you talk about courtship and mating in pipefish and how they reproduce? Uh, So things like, you know, what's their general life cycle? Do they mate for life? Do both parents care for the young ones born? So they do have an interesting reproductive style. There is a little bit of courtship involved with the males and the females. But what usually happens is the female will wrap their body around the male and deposit the eggs into a specialized pouch in the male. That's where they'll be fertilized. And then the male will actually carry the eggs. The embryos, as they develop, get nutrients from the males and a protective tissue layer forms around that pouch to help protect them. Now the males can actually carry up to three different females eggs. So they don't mate for life. Once the female deposits the eggs into the male, it actually allows the female to go and start to develop more eggs. So scientists theorize that this is why the males carry the eggs is so that they can actually have more babies and their populations can thrive. The male can carry up to about 721 eggs. So that's a lot of eggs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and as they develop in that pouch, once they are ready to hatch, which depends on water temperature, can be about six weeks, they emerge as miniature versions of their parents and are fully independent. So there's no care, nothing like that. They just kind of go on their merry little way to grow up and hopefully produce more babies. So. Lots of questions for you about this. So do they do this like annually? And is it a certain time of the year? With the bay pipe fish, it's any time of the year. It does peak in the spring up into the summer months, but they can carry eggs and produce babies during the winter as well. And is it true that males seem to prefer larger females to mate with? Like most animals in the animal kingdom, yes. Having a bigger female means that you will have more eggs. She'll produce more eggs to deposit. They usually tend to be healthier, healthier eggs. Are pipefish territorial? Not that I know of. There might be some species in the tropics that can be territorial, but our bay pipefish are not. So will you often find them together in clusters within the eelgrass beds? Are they kind of more spread out? So you might see a pair here and there or or often see them solitary? You'll see them in groups. You can see them solitary, but for the most part, they are occupying small areas in the eelgrass. And so they tend to be clumped together. Okay. Do you know of any research studies being done regarding pipefish? Currently, I do not know of any research being done. Okay. Any other cool things about pipefish we should know about? Well, their common name supposedly derives from the thin, small pipes that folks smoked in the 1700s. Oh, cool. That is a fun little fact there. (laughs) Fun little trivia. You alluded to this earlier in our discussion as far as what the biggest threats to pipefish are, and we've already mentioned the loss of eelgrass beds, which I know is going on in the Salish Sea. Any other threats that you can think of that would be a big concern to pipefish? 
They are used in medicinal practices. So dried pipefish are mixed with herbs and used as whole body treatments. So if there is a demand for more alternative medicines, it, that could be a threat to them. With the tropical species, one of the threats is overcollection for aquarium hobbyists. How do you anticipate climate change impacting their populations? kind of just depends. You might see certain species move northward, like we've seen with other species of marine life. So you could start seeing barred and kelp pipefish move their way up this way. With the bay pipefish, because they occupy such a wide range of temperatures, you might see a northern migration again, where you will see fewer in the California Baja area and more up north towards our area. And what can we do to help pipefish seahorse populations in general? A seahorse one threw me off. (laughs) Really, it's conservation of habitat and limiting collection for either the medicinal purposes or, again, aquarium hobbyists. Some of these species have longer lives and reproduce more slowly. Other species, like the bay pipefish, they have short lifespans, but they reproduce quickly. So conservation of habitat is probably the best thing that you can do to help their survival. Well, I want to give a big thank you to you, Tiffany, for joining us today and sharing your time and knowledge with our listeners and myself. This podcast was brought to you by the Whale Museum. Once again, my name is Tracy Merle, and you can find my contact information as well as information about salmon and the Whale Museum on our website, www.whalemuseum.org. You can find out more information about the Seaside Aquarium at seasideaquarium.com. I hope you have enjoyed listening and had a really good time. Our next podcast will be about the gray whale unusual mortality event and feature Dr. Amy Lang from NOAA. Until next time, take care. And as you continue on your journey of stewardship and discovery, Always remember to be kind to yourself and others and be open to nature's wonders. With that, we're making like whales and blowing out of here.